This week, we have Jericho Denman from War Office Productions and Freedom Holistic joining us. Jericho's been a frequent guest on the podcast before, and I'm guessing this will not be his last time either. So join us today as we catch up on what Jericho's been doing and what's coming up next. Broadcasting from everywhere and nowhere, the Misfit Crew at Southfleet HQ is proud to bring you the Die Living Podcast. Welcome back to another episode of the Die Living Podcast, brought to you, as always, by Softly. This week, we are joined once again by Jericho Denman, who is just back from Bulgaria, I believe, Romania, somewhere in the, the Eastern European states, uh, where he was consulting, uh, tech advising, rather, on uh, yet another film project. So today we're going to talk to him a little bit about that, what he's doing now that he's back, and uh, kind of whatever else comes up in our awesome conversation. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for are. having me again. Yeah, man. Appreciate you making the drive up today. I know that you've been busy since you got back. Yeah. But, well, self-imposed busy. Well, it's all right. Still busy. but uh, I'm just grateful to be away from all the gypsies. Yeah. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I don't know, man. Your social media seemed like you were pretty active when you were over there, at least getting out during the day or at night and checking things out. Yeah, I was trying. Um, <laughs> most uh, specifically when Travis was there, though, right? No, I got out a lot whenever. So, yeah, throughout the course of the trip, it was I, I got out as much as possible um, during kind of the principal photography portion of the movie. A lot of people don't realize that the hours for that are pretty intense, so you get like... At night, I would basically eat dinner and go to bed and then do it again. And then you get one day off a week to pretty much do your laundry and, yeah, you know, catch up on admin type bullshit. But during the, the principal photography portion, I didn't have a lot of time, but in pre-production, um, had a little bit of time. Uh, one of the primary cast members got an injury. So I got two extra weeks of pre-production, which boiled down to being paid to go and fuck off in Europe and go wherever I wanted. Um, so I got to go to Greece and I went to Germany. So those, those were pretty cool. But yeah, I tried to make it so that anytime I did get off, I, you know, how often do you get paid to, you know, sit in Bulgaria or anywhere other than home? Right. So you got to make the most of it. Yeah, man. It's better than just doing laundry somewhere on a film set. <laughs> yeah. Just but doing laundry and drinking. What were the living beer? conditions like? I mean, was it, since you guys were filming a war movie that, I mean... Are we allowed to talk about what the name of the movie? Yeah, is? yeah I absolutely. think we should go back and tell everyone kind of what what you're coming back from. Oh, yeah. So uh, this movie was uh, it's called The Outpost, um, named after uh, the book of the same name, written by Jake Tapper, CNN's Jake Tapper. The movie is uh, a condensation or a condensing of that book. The book, a lot of people think, is about the specific incident which happened uh, in October of '09 um, <clears throat> when. Uh, about 300 dudes basically tried to overrun Combat Outpost Keating, uh, which is in Nuristan in Afghanistan. Um, but Tapper's book was actually kind of talking about the outpost itself um, and all these other events there within 
you know, made it a good story, but he wanted to kind of tooth the tail from when this out combat outpost was stood up through the events um, in October of 09 that kind of made it close. Mm-hmm. So the movie kind of condenses a lot of the major or the, uh, you know, really significant things that happened there, you know, into a, you know, a two hours ish movie, um, which is difficult. Um, so yeah, that's what it's about is combat outpost Keating, but mainly the events of October 3rd, 2009, when these 300 dudes tried to overrun it and you had, uh, eight Americans were killed, uh, two medals of honor, two living medal of honor recipients, uh, through it. Pretty, pretty insane story. But yeah. That's, that's what we were doing. Um, well, when uh, when is the expected release date? Do you know, uh, they want the release date to be October of 2019. Mm-hmm. It's kind of a 10 year anniversary, um, but that's anybody's guess that you know that goes up to markets and sure yada yada yada. Well, in your previous like big project before this was on mile 22, correct? Yes. Yeah. So, can you tell us like a little bit? I'm 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 curious. <clears throat> those are two totally different movies in the sense that one, the outpost is really trying to be, I assume as true to form or true to history rather as possible. Um, and mile 22 is obviously much more like stylized. You know, these are the Jason Bourne guys that can do everything. And you know, they're so amazing. And you know, how does that affect is one way harder than the other as far as uh, yeah. technical advising or. Yeah, totally. Um, there, it's it's more difficult to do something that's you know, I try to not say like I said I think in a previous podcast it's uh, less about um, realism and more about authenticity mm-hmm. you know because it is you know we're stacking up months and months and months in 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 kind of years in the outpost into two hours so there are there are liberties that have to be taken I don't want to call them liberties but there are things you have to do in order to to effectively tell this story um, in an authentic manner or else it's going to be the movie's going to be seven hours long. Mm-hmm. You know? um, seven riveting hours. Seven riveting hours. <laughs> <laughs> but um, the hard part of, of that is, is, is um, you know, there's some motion involved. If it's, if it's a true event, especially when you're talking about guys being killed, you know, these are dudes that like we, we all knew guys just like them. So it, there's, a, there's more of a responsibility um, to those guys. Um, and then also you can't screw it up. You know, there's, there's things that, you know, people are going to see it and, and, uh, be like, Oh, what the hell's up with this? And, you know, I can talk through a lot of that, the challenges in that when it comes to being a tech advisor as well. Yeah. I'd love to hear about that. Um, but yeah, huge difference. I think doing a a mile 22 type thing or, or anything that's not, you know, uh, a, a true event, it's more fun. I'll say that. Um, not necessarily maybe as rewarding um, if you can nail it, but uh, it's different. I like, I like doing both. I would definitely say my, I got more gray hairs from doing the outpost than I did from doing mile 22. I'll say that. Right. I don't have as many as Doug yet, but I still have a few more. If, if I kept the sides of my head so sh- closely shorn, no one would know. <laughs> right. Yeah, Is I that just from the stress of trying to get all the details correct? Um, no, it's just... You know, like I said, there are there are things you have to give and take. You know, in movies, people um, like people have personal stuff. Like you're saying, people came and visited that had been involved in the incidents, right? Yeah, and people telling the story have a vested interest. 
and they probably don't like the way that Jericho right necessarily. And you, and you have to when you when you talk to guys like that <clears throat> that don't. I don't want to say they don't get it. Like I'm being you know condescending, but you mean they don't get Hollywood? Like they don't get like how it has to be shown on camera right, to be compelling? Right. right. They yeah. don't understand that you know it wasn't like this. If it if you if we do it real. It doesn't have the weight on the story that it needs to for the script to work to tell your story well. Mm-hmm. Um, while, yeah, maybe a grenade does not look cool right now or like it's too big or it's too small or whatever it's too much of, we're doing that in such a manner so that it guides the story to at the end of the movie, you know, honorably tell what happened to these guys, right? Right. So, you know, if, if a, for, for everybody listening, if you're, if you're watching a movie that's supposed to be somewhat realistic and there's an RPG that goes off or a grenade, well, you know, me and you know that when you throw an M67, it's not really that cool. Like, no. But if we show an M67 going off in a room and it looks absolutely real, people at home don't understand that that was a grenade. Thump. Because they're they've been indoctrinated or they've been trained by Hollywood to think grenades look a certain way. So did they drop a Quran or did a grenade go off? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So it's, it's, you know, explaining those things to guys. Um, and, and, you know, saying, Hey, you know, maybe this, maybe this guy zigged when, when he really zagged, but we need it to go this way. And at the end of the day, it's about <clears throat> honorably telling the story. Um, and if you, if you really care about people knowing what super nitnoid detail, what really happened, then they're going to go see the movie. They're going to be like, that's, wow, that was an amazing story. I'm going to go get on the internet and I'm going to find a book about this or I'm going to find you know, all these news articles about this or I'm going to find first-person accounts about this and I'm going to read more about it. Um, you know, it's, it's not, these aren't documentaries. Um, and I'll, I don't say that like lightly, like tongue-in-cheek, but if if... If it's real, the movie will suck and no one will see it and no one will know that these guys existed and, and that these things happened to them. So, yeah, you try and tell it as authentically as possible so that it's a good movie. Right. So that people will see it and they'll know the stories and they'll learn these guys' names that died there and they'll know the names of these guys that, that received the Medal of Honor there and they'll, you know, it'll, it'll bridge that gap a little more. Um, whereas if we made it real and it sucked... No one's going to give a shit. Yeah. Know, like they don't right now. Well, that was a sufficiently heavy moment. Not the people, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> hey, uh, I, I get I'll, what you mean. I'll be honest. Like when I, when I got the call about this, you know, I, I remembered, like I knew Clint Romache. The only reason name. I knew about any of this was because I was in country when it happened. Yeah. Like, and, and I was too. And I still was like, I remember I really... it was like a dinner conversation, right? Where you're like, you're sitting around the chow hall and you're like, oh, that shit we said was fucked up. That was going to get our asses fucking wrung out. It happened to those dudes. Exactly. There's yeah. our lesson. Like, yeah. don't be like that, you know? Yeah. How much, how much difficulty do you have? I know the, the guys that were there are on, you know, they're, they're, they're worried about their image, right? You know, if you're making a movie about them, they don't want to be portrayed in a negative way. Like, how much yeah. of that do you have to, to deal with? Yeah, it depended. It depended. Like I talked to a number of the guys that were actually there. <clears throat> it really depended on them. And some of the guys were like, yeah, I did this and I was fucking fucked up. I was, I really fucked up. That was really stupid. And I think about it every day since. Um, and, and they're fine with it. And there's some guys that, you know, no one's going to outrightly say, hey, don't show that. But, but the thing is, we're trying to, you know, in trying to tell this story, um, 
you're trying to honor what these guys did, you know, like maybe they fucked up, it, but there was, I'll say there were, there were no overt, you know, uh, malicious fuck ups in this battle. You know, there was, there was nothing that happened in it to any of these guys where I was like, man, that guy is a piece of shit. You know what I mean? So yeah, we were able to tell, um, the story pretty damn accurately without making anybody look like a turd. Um, sure. Well, I mean, I've just seen, you know, we all know of movies that about events that we are not, not we all, but guys that are in soft know of movies that portray events that we know happen very, very differently than yeah. what was, what <laughs> was portrayed in the movie. And you think like how much of that was them like trying to protect their legacy? How much of that was the story? You know, it wouldn't make for a very interesting movie to craft a story where that shows kind of the, right. The faults of it. Cause I think that the public does have sort of a mindset when it comes to military action, like, Oh, these are guys who are like super soldiers and they're warriors right. and they're not making mistakes. Right. More of like a James Bond thing. And sometimes I almost think it's more interesting to show like oh, yeah, the foibles the, and frailties of, of real soldiers and yeah, real and that, combat. I mean, that was a, that was a thing that, uh, that the director of this, he, he made it very plainly clear. He's like, Hey, these are, these are conventional. This is a, a cav, you know, a cav troop. Um, they weren't soft guys. Um, so but they were significantly even, outnumbered, right? I mean, oh, yeah. that was like a real marshalling of forces that the yeah. Taliban brought to yeah, bear. Yeah, it was like, like they say three to 500, you know? I mean, that's a reason. I mean, 54. Yeah, that is a large, it's not, it's not like Lone Survivor where, you know, we said there were 50 guys, but there were really only like six. Yeah, this is, uh, they, yeah, and then the terrain that they were on, it was like, point of no return happened pretty quick and they had the dudes, you know, up in their mix real quick. Um, but they, we, we portrayed the guys, you know, we didn't make them, it was actually something I had to kind of rein myself in with, with, you know, and training the guys and all that is, you know, they're not, we're not making them look like, like operators. Right. Yep. Um, cause they weren't and making it, but there's a, you know, there's a fine line. There are, there are certain guys, um, in the movie who were not, not great dudes, you know, yeah. um, weren't really good at their job. Uh, and just it, like every other play, organization in the army. Yeah, exactly. But <laughs> you know what, what I had to kind of, you know, wrestle with was like, Hey, in our eyes, this guy's not the greatest dude, but he's still, a, he's still a professional soldier. You know, like there's things that we can all look back and we, we hold people in, you know, our organizations. And I think the military as a whole tries to hold people to a high standard. And we forget just how good someone is at doing their job because we, we are so proficient at it. You know, you take a, a kid that's, you know, been in the army for two years out of like a, you know, just a rifle infantry company. He, he knows how to run his gun pretty good. Yep. You know, he knows how to maintain it. He's, he's pretty good where you throw that gun into a civilian's hands. that's never really done it. Like you really, that becomes glaringly obvious. Sure. Right. So there were some, some story points where it's like, you know, this guy fucked this up and, you know, I'm trying to train the cast and then I'm like, Hey, he's really fucking this up, you know, on screen. And people are like, yeah, but he was, but he was like kind of a fuck up. I'm like, yeah, yeah, but not that bad. Well, and also, <laughs> I mean, when you think about it, it's really hard since you have such a condensed amount of time as a storyteller, like everything matters that you're showing yeah. the audience. Yeah. So if you're showing mistakes, you're showing fuck ups like that becomes foreshadowing 
or like yeah. a plot point, right? It's like yeah. dum dum dum. This guy fucked up that. Like bad yeah. things are in, in store in the future. Yeah. So unless the purpose is comedic relief, like Twombly and those uh those two ranger kids <laughs> from yeah right? sure. Yeah. But if you show some dude like blowing off cleaning his gun or like yeah. you know something oh, yeah. like that, it's like uh oh, like now yeah. you're blaming him or like at least narratively, or you're setting him up to be even bigger of a hero because you know he's not necessarily that great a dude. So when he steps up and does something kind of kind of great, it's even more great. Yeah. You know? But yeah, there were there was a lot of that. And I had to <clears throat> that was something that I had to kind of wrestle with in this one. I was like, hey, I know this guy is supposed to be kind of a fuck up, but he is a fuck up in this world. Like yes. if he looks absolutely fucked up, then he's not that you know what I mean? Sure. Yeah. 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 Well I think that um you know, one thing <clears throat> that and I don't know, I don't know if this is like a rabbit hole that you want to go down, but uh, one thing that I'm kind of interested in and in maybe hearing from your point of view is that I know that on on one hand, it's really important to tell these stories. And, you know, something you alluded to just just recently was that, hey, these stories are how we keep these, you know, keep these memories alive, how we how we, one of the ways in which we honor honor these guys, um, and on the other hand, finding the balance where we don't go into making um, you know putting people on pedestals, uh, and 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 then using those stories as like justification for political purposes or or something else, right? right. And so, you know, in your mind, what is what is the best way that we can do to kind of strike that balance, or best way that we can tell these stories um, so that we that people do give a shit that people do remember what, you know, what happened. Um, but it doesn't, it doesn't just go blaringly too far to the other side. Yeah. And I think, I think the outpost is going to do a good job of, of just that. I really do. Um, yeah, that's a really good question. Uh, I, I don't, I don't know. I mean, you've kind of stumped me, but I think to take the, the question and turn it off maybe a little weirder rabbit hole than you were thinking, but like, I think a lot of issues that nowadays when it comes to like air quotes, vet stuff and like these dudes that are kind of dysfunctional and blah, blah, blah. I think a lot of that is because of this hero worship that's come with, with our generation of, of, of vets being put on this pedestal of like, you know, if you wear dog tags, you're a modern day saint. Yeah. I don't wear capo or dog tags, but, uh, you know, I th I think that we have to show that the guys that do this stuff are people who are just you know really good at doing something, um, and and it it takes you know shit. I don't even know what I'm. It's showing the for me. I think what what I saw in this in this and then doing a couple other things and then being around a lot of civilians who have zero frame of reference is showing how much of a profession the military is, mm -hmm. right? Especially if you're a, a grunt or, or an operator type or a, you know, whatever is, is I think that a lot of people in the civilian world look at the military as both a, a professional and like kind of an emotional magical box. Like, once you're put in this magical box, you're this great person, right? And we all know that you're not. And also, once you get put in this magical box, you can just go do all these things, right? You can just go shoot guns and, and, and do all these things like at a, at, a, at a master level. 
because you're in the army, that's why you can do it. Um, much like they think because you're a vet, you're a good person, right? And you don't have to be held accountable for being a turd burglar. That's because I wrote a check up to and, and including yeah. the value of my life. So I think just <laughs> showing, I mean, for me, someday when I'm a you know, super successful filmmaker, it is showing the these these people and, and guys in these stories and girls in these stories as professionals, you know? When you watch uh sports movies are a great analogy for it, you know, you see you see people struggling to, you know, make the the majors or to win a tournament or win a medal or whatever. I mean, look at Rocky. You see Rocky go from this 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 start point to this end point. You know, what what would Rocky have been if we just saw Rocky and he was just a great boxer and he's just mm-hmm. going around beating dudes up. And I think that's something that's missing in military um media is is that seeing like hey these are these are the people you grew up with and stuff and they've put a lot of time and energy and and work into being these these proficient people at this craft of basically hunting people which is really hard and it's a thinking man's game and it's all these things put together that i think movies miss the mark on that mm-hmm. for for the military so yeah i think I think to kind of circle around and try and answer your question, I think that for me, what makes, um, what would make military movies better is showing the work up, you know, and, and the, and the come home, you know, we miss that a lot. And just seeing that there's nothing superhuman about us. Um, we just put a lot of time and energy and work and that also has consequences on the back end too. Well, I think that's why Band of Brothers touched so many people the way it did because it really showed the whole run up. You know, it's yeah. here's these dudes they're they're at training and they're running those things and they're dealing with poor leadership or they're dealing with um, just just soldiers' problems. But you see them becoming more and more proficient, and the audience grows with those guys and they see how a geek off the street or a, a you know plumber or car, plumber or carpenter isn't doesn't overnight become this this guy and they wrestle with those demons. They're doing their jobs, but um, you know, they, they have those moments where they are able of, to band of brothers. is a really good job of painting those guys as heroes too. Right. Oh like, yeah. Like, and not, but earnedly. So, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. it's, it doesn't, it doesn't, it paints the dirt bags as dirt bags and it paints the heroes as heroes. And, and there's just a bunch of great guys too, that didn't just kind of like schlubbed along and, and did their job. And, um, but it, the storyline is very well developed to, to say like, you know, they people were idealistic uh, in how and why they were going to war. They wanted to fight for a reason. They were they trained. They went to war. They fought, and then the series comes to an end with them having fought for the, the reasons that they chose to fight were the right reasons, right? Yeah, it wasn't nebulous. No, and I think that it's interesting from a Hollywood like telling the story perspective to see the shift in Tom Hanks's perception, like how to tell the story when we move into the Pacific. And it's it's a more nebulous fight. Like even though the idea of like the Imperial Japanese were bad and like, you know, that they were very like devoted to war, sycophantically so, uh, the conflict of jungle warfare and like a more unconventional, like not force on force type thing really seemed it was more difficult for them to portray the the kind of like dogmatic, these are good guys, not conflicted, fighting for the right reasons and going home and doing great things. 
type thing. You know, does that make sense? Yeah. I think, yeah. I th- Go ahead. But, well, I mean, and you touch on the, the, the reason, right? I didn't really see in Pacific necessarily, like, there was a lack of, like, the right reasons for fighting the war. I think it was more of just, like, it was a very different war, and most people didn't understand that. You know, there's a, in Europe, there was infrastructure, right? Yep. Like, you know. Like we'd go fight fight on the front and then like, oh, I've got, you know, shore leave. I'm going to go to hot, Paris. Hot chow. You know, and yeah. chase around girls and all that sort of stuff. Whereas in Pacific, it's like, oh, great. I get to go to the yeah mess know, tent to go get malaria somewhere else. Yep. Um, yeah, I but, think that was just. Oh, it's but now it's really difficult. Like, like we're, we're not done with the conflicts that we're fighting in. No. Right? So when you're, there is no end state. When you're doing a, a movie, whether it's about a Navy SEAL or about a, a cop and or a VSP somewhere in Afghanistan. Like there's no like, and then the boys went home and Afghanistan was saved like moment you can have in those movies. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's really, it's, so it, it's, it, when you remove that, it's hard to, well, to I mean, have that whole arc. It's even weirder. Cause we all grew up in a cold war environment. Like we were all raised during the cold war or, you know, like on the heels of it. And we were all, you know, we watched movies about Afghanistan as this morass that sucked in the Russians and then the Americans sponsored an insurgency, you know, and we partnered with the Afghans. The, to only, over- the only movie about that was Rambo, bro. No, there was Charlie also- Wilson's War. Oh, and that was like that was way, way later. That was we were adults when that came the out. The Beast, that uh, Israeli also, We were also adults when that came out. Were we? That was yeah. like an 80s movie, right? No, it was like early 90s. Was it yeah. Rambo three when the Taliban were the good guys? <laughs> <laughs> but nonetheless, like the the idea of telling those stories, like we were programmed to believe that, like the, I'm going to use this term with some gravity, but the noble savage, yeah. like you know, like yeah. every one of us wanted to be um, the character in Dances with Wolves, where you know, like we understood the plight of the people we were partnered with, and you yeah. know. We're going to help them be better. But in the end, the, the, the noble savage won't be killed. But that's not the ending, right? Yeah. The, the endings for Afghanistan, like, there's no happy ending for them. And frankly, there doesn't seem to be a happy ending for us. So, like, when we tell stories about Afghanistan, we're telling tactical-only stories, like, about individual heroism in the moment. Yeah. The, and if you, t- if you try to tie it into anything more globally than that, it's just depressing. Well, yeah. I mean, you look at that movie that Netflix did with, with Brad Pitt. Oh, War Machine. War Machine. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, they don't even try to talk about taxes. They're trying to talk about strategy and how just, oh, you know? <laughs> yeah. I thought that was actually pretty good. I thought it was dead I believe on, you wrote a, a review of it, didn't you, for the blog? Did I? Yeah, I believe so. Uh, I think that was Griff. Oh, was it? <laughs> well, one ranger's the same as another. You guys all look alike to me, bro. <laughs> <laughs> you and your closely shorn faces. My bad. Right? You're so professional, I can't tell the difference between you. Yeah. yeah. We have this thing called standards that makes us all the same. Might want to try it out. <laughs> oh, speaking of standards, I don't want to digress too much, but I found it hilarious. I'm in a private group full of SF guys on the internet, and I cannot name the name of this group, but someone posted a meme of you dressed up like a Navy SEAL for Halloween 
which gets a kick out of all the tweeners. Like all of the oh, '90s yeah. SF guys love it. Oh, why would anyone want to pretend to be a seal? Which is hilarious because it's fucking Halloween. But there was at least one dude <laughs> who was in bat with you, uh-huh. who was like, I remember that kid when he was a private. He used to dress up like an RI at Halloween, and his name tape said Sergeant Fatleg. Yeah, I didn't do that until I had my tab though. Because I didn't <laughs> want to jinx it. <laughs> but yeah, me and uh, my best my best buddy, we used to dress up as RIs. We I, had the RI shirts made, and mine was. Staff Sergeant Fatleg. Yeah, I read it and I read the story. I was like, dude, this is so Jericho. Like, there's, I'm not even, I'm not even bothering to be like, I don't think that was him. I was like, that's the best Jericho story ever. Yeah, and my, the, my buddy was a Staff Sergeant out of shape. (laughs) We would like put, you know, the black sweatshirt with the tab on it and the white and black name tape. Yeah, and we'd like put fucking pillows in there. So we had like a gut. And we had a couple, yeah, I was like a spec four. We had this platoon sergeant in the company who had been an RI before he came there. He didn't like that. I can only imagine. (laughs) (laughs) That's amazing. Been keeping it real for years, Doug. (laughs) (laughs) Back then, did you get to talk about how one day this will all be funny, but it's not funny right now? Yeah. No, I don't. I think most of my leaders, I I was lucky, man. I always had really good leaders who like let me kind of run amok a little bit as long as I was being funny. Have the, like going back to the movies and like, you know, the current conflict movies, it seems like there's been a spate of them in the last couple of years. Like there's been a lot of movies about different battles that have happened in Afghanistan or Iraq or whatever, but they, none of them seem to like really nail it. Yeah. Nor do any of them like are box office smashes unless they're like, I don't know. I I guess American Sniper did pretty well. Yeah. My misgivings about that movie, but um, How can you have misgivings about a man who shot another man in a mile but has no documented proof? Yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I guess I Where could, would he document that, though? Would he on his notebook? On his silver, silver star, star citation silver that he wrote himself. Oh, cool. Yeah. God, yeah. man, we are haters. Well, such haters. I didn't even, I didn't know. I, I was in, I don't know if it was for that shot, but I was in Baghdad when that was going down. I remember getting the, the dumps every day, like, yeah, these, these vanilla seals, like, we're just, Dropping dudes out at fucking. So that's when they were like blocking off Solder City. You remember that? Yeah. And his 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 uh, SNO team was just kind of sitting up there waiting for dudes to shoot at the teams putting in the the T barriers, and then they would just clip them. So they were racking. They were stacking some some bods out there. But I they don't were. Know about but that. that's not when he was. So he. I mean, when he was in Solder City, yeah, he he said that he made a shot that was like over a mile. It's like. I've been there, man. There ain't no shots over a mile in Solder City. The guy yeah, was a, you'd have to be. The guy was in a minaret. Was, was he in a hot air balloon? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, like, that's like saying that there's mile long shots in Brooklyn. You know, it just doesn't <laughs> yeah. exist, man. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't know all that, but um, I don't. Yeah, that movie. I mean, to, to talk about. So to well, get to your question, though, I'm just, the reason that these movies are not getting made, they don't. I mean, it fucking sucks to say they don't make money, man. Yeah, like, well, that's they're they're. And I think a lot of it is the public doesn't want to go fucking watch it. It makes them feel bad. Yeah. You know, and until, you know, I, I don't think people should fucking feel bad. (laughs) No. You know, I would rather them go watch and be like, oh, cool. I know a little bit more about what's going on, but I think, uh, um, well, it's like with band of brothers or, or saving private Ryan. Now, of course, with Hollywood, there seems to be like a one guy that's willing to take a risk. I don't know where he lives, but he's in a box somewhere in Hollywood, and he's the guy with yeah. that's willing to take a risk. You know, one comic book mo- movie gets made, and it's a hit, and now there's going to be 900 of those. Or one, yeah. you know, there was a time in the 90s where 
or, or the late early two thousands, Gladiator got made. Then every other movie you saw was like some Roman bio right. you know, Arab thing. Yeah. But there is a way to make a movie, a serious movie, that's even ambiguous and make it awesome. Um, I mean, look at look at Sicario, right? Yes. Like definitely. I mean, and we've we've talked Brian at length about like all the awesome things that go into making Sicario as great as it is. Sure. But the fact of the matter is, is that you have a movie that has action in it, that has an ambiguous ending, um, you know, that, that is that is basically facing a serious plot line um, that is relevant to, like, modern-day politics But you can't well. do that with the truth, right? Because not enough right. time has elapsed. There's no one that's going to be that... Like, there's no real person that's going to be that Josh Brolin character or that Benicio Del Toro character. Those people exist in real life, for sure. I've met them. It, However, they're never going to be like, and starring blah, 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 as it, this guy. Here's the reason. And I, you guys are kind of nailing it. And why I think there's, there hasn't been any good contemporary war movies. So, like, think back. What do you think the best war movies of all time are? Like, Saving Private Ryan, Platoon, Full Metal Jacket. Yeah. Right? I give Black those, Hawk Down a nod no matter how those guys. I like Black Hawk Down, too. But you're probably, it's probably not going to make that list no matter how many people you ask, like, what the greatest war movies of all time are. Right. I it's, agree. It's the three I just named probably. Right. Sure. Those aren't fucking true stories. No. Right. And everything that we try and make or everything that Hollywood is trying to do right now in the contemporary kind of setting, they're all trying to do true stories. There is not, there is no, uh, Iraq or Afghanistan platoon. Right. There isn't. And well, and those stories give the, give the filmmakers, filmmakers license to highlight the immorality of war, right? You know, without naming names, you know, like right. the, yeah. you can't say like the Mylai massacre happened, but you can't like call out the dudes that are in the historical record for committing those atrocities and entertain people simultaneously. Lieutenant Kelly, yeah. <laughs> so um, I mean, so what's it going to take to create a fictional war movie? Is it just a matter of time? Is it that there's there's too much documentation of yeah? You know what. I, What's been happening? The right script, I guess. I think I think part of it too is the thing I was talking about earlier. This fucking newly found veteran dick chugging that that America loves to do. You know, like, oh, we can't possibly make a war movie that that sh- that sheds fucking negative light on these fucking heroes. You know, like, oh, bullshit. You know, like, I don't think anything less of Vietnam veterans because there's a scene in Platoon where fucking Barnes smokes a, a villager. You know, that shit happened. And I don't think anything, probably anything. Didn't we all think Barnes was like the, like Barnes was the better NCO anyway, right? You gotta be, <laughs> you gotta be 60, 40 Barnes and Alliance. It just depends on the day, which, yep. which way you need to, to tip it. But I don't think that there's, you know, look back at kind of Vietnam veterans and their culture. Cause my dad is a Vietnam vet. And I look back, I remember going to the theater with my dad to see that movie and like, he was like super appreciative of that movie. He had a lot of shit to say about like, oh, this was fake, that was fake. But he's like, man, it was fucking good. And it showed America kind of like what, what it was like, you know? And it, it helped a lot of dudes with that, like, hey, here's what we kind of dealt with type shit. Well, because none of those guys could talk about it, right? That's the huge difference now is coming back from Vietnam, they were incentivized to shut the fuck up about it. You know, the, the cultural moment at the time was like, you guys are a bunch of baby killers fighting an unjust war, Blah, 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 blah. So, you know, I know that the pendulum has swung completely the opposite direction. Now it's a thank me for my service, even if I was well, like, but it's, it's weird, whatever. man, because I think that in general, we all, like, I mean, minus a few really sycophantic 
individuals. Like the idea is use that word twice now. I know in one podcast. It's so people who are very, very pro America will still say we're fighting a just war, but that is very few and far between. Even the staunchest of right wingers will tell you that like in their mind, the invasion of Iraq was a foreign policy mistake or that like they're not entirely sure what the end game in Afghanistan is, but it's to keep terrorism away from America, which we all know is just a talking point for justification of like a continued feeding of the military industrial complex, right? Like we just, let's keep, let's keep the ball rolling. Let's maintain a good defense budget. We're justifying a strong military for a future conflict. We can't yet quite put our finger on. We want to spend this money so that we can fight Russia or China or whoever else. Right. But like nobody, (laughs) exactly. Nobody's saying like that. This is a just, I mean, I don't think, Anybody's, no, that's not what I'm saying. What yeah. I'm talking about is individual soldiers coming back home are held in a completely different, agreed, different pedestal. In Vietnam, we said Vietnam vets that were. the Vietnam vets were the people who were responsible for the unjust war. That's how yes. the public saw yeah. it. And now we're saying, hey, it's an unjust war, but the troops are really just yeah. doing their job. They're doing yeah. what they're told within their rules of engagement, and they're not responsible. They're heroes. But because of that, but the average person, their mindset is this guy is a hero, so therefore the way he conducted himself overseas in that conflict was above reproach. reproach. Understood, yeah. And so no one one wants to do the like, well, here's a bunch of dudes doing fucking Vietnam-level shit, platoon style. That would be interesting or maybe like authentic. Do you also think that like as people from the 21st century, generally... I think the military does have a higher bar for uh, what right looks like than the general population. Like if you look at it, like we have the Marines who are pissing <laughs> on, on dead Taliban guys. Right. And you're like, I mean, I think that the general attitude from most of the people in the population is what's the problem. Like yeah. those guys are dead. They're bad guys. Somebody wanted to pee on them. Who cares? And in the army and the military in general, like Marine Corps, army, whatever, it's like, we're going to drum those guys out. Like these are court martialable offenses. They violated like the rules, laws of land warfare, blah, blah, blah. And you know, like the civilian populations, like why they're heroes. They did something yeah. good. Right. Yeah. So like we have this high standard. I don't think that you could sell an atrocities. I, I don't think that things that we think of as atrocities in war would necessarily resonate as atrocities to the general population when it's, good versus evil in their mind. Like when it's Americans versus Muslim terrorists in a, in a regular American right-wing person's mind, like not just right-wing, in an American's mind, they're seeing those guys as a non-human bad guy. Well, yeah, I, yeah I'm not saying that you need to make a war about a movie about atrocity. What I'm saying is right now, I don't believe the general population is necessarily mentally ready for a full spectrum movie regarding the ups and the downs because everyone's still living right you know even even first man just came out right like neil armstrong's been dead for a little while but you know they were able to portray him in the most accurate way possible but if he was still alive or people you know yeah and oh man fuck you guys for making him this way or making him this way or people getting pissed or uh, accusations happening that may send people to prison you know when you when you fictionalize it it's fine or when you wait Till it's fifty years ago, and you do Band of Brothers or whatever, then it's fine. But. Yeah, it's 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 weird because I mean, like going going back to Platoon, like that came out in eighty six, right? So that was ele- I mean, it's kind of weird to say, but that was eleven years after Vietnam was over, right? And, yeah. and we're the, this war can vote, right? So if we yep. like, if yeah. we were able to like, you know, do some story, like, the ship has sailed on some of these stories. Like they're older than. 
really they're older than like Vietnam was when Platoon came out. Sure. Right. But I think you're right in that people still have skin on the, like literal skin in the game. So it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's I mean, a weird. Well, there's was, all the stories, you know, there's all the stories that you, you and I know and Doug knows that have been told around about the real thing that happened on this mission or the real thing that happened here. Or this person got this medal and maybe undeservedly, or this person deserved this medal and didn't get it about these crazy actions. And you read, and books have written about, written about them and you read the books and you're like, eh, this is a little bit more like we're trying to paint all of us as like a little bit cooler than we were or trying yeah. to like whitewash it. Um, and, and it just removes the interest for me, you know? Yeah. I think, well, there is, something I was going to kind of touch on. I think that, and it's, it's especially bad, not especially bad, but it's, it's more prevalent because we, you guys live in, you, you guys are still very much in the world, right? You're still like, most of your friends are in the army. You go to work every day with guys that are in the army. You're, you're next to, when you get out and like start to give civilians that have no, like zero, touches on the military and you start giving them little snippets of like things that we've done or these stories that you're talking about, we lose sight of how fucking crazy and extraordinary this shit is. Yeah. You know? Um, and not, I'm not even talking about war stories. I'm talking about like how much we work, you know? And I think that we kind of like Doug was saying, we have higher standards for ourselves than like civilians have for us. And I think that that like, kind of gets flip-flopped in that like we do things and we're like, eh, there's no fucking big deal. And someone's like, holy fuck, why isn't there a book about that? And you're like, I don't know. It was just Thursday, man. You know? Yeah. yeah. And I think that, um, yeah, I don't know where I was going with that, but it is like we, like when we say, oh man, this, this is this crazy thing, but uh, it wouldn't be a good movie. Cause like, whatever, that was just fucking another day at the office, you know? Whereas like it may be, you know? Yeah. And I think that, you know, as I'm, I'm learning kind of this business and stuff, it's, it's something you have to try and get past. Like we have that humility to a fault in a lot of things. And it's like, at the end of the day though, I look at, I try to think about my friends and my stories and I'm like, what, do I want this to never be told? You know, just for the simple fact. I think that when you go further into it, it becomes like, Humility at some point becomes almost like narcissism. Like you're trying to be so humble because you want to be humble. Yeah. And it becomes like counterproductive. Is it because you want to be humble or is it because we're all afraid of being shamed by people we respect more that's, than ourselves? Yeah. That's a lot of, <laughs> like, hey man, I'm going to tell this cool story that I think is awesome, but I'm also desperately afraid that this other dude that I look up to is going to say something to me and be like, I can't believe you talked about that in public, man. Why yeah. would you do that? Well, and yeah. I, I think you're exactly right as well, Jericho as far as like people's frame of reference shifting, you know, while they're in the military, yeah. you know, things that Doug and I were familiar with this guy who ended up being a poser, wasn't a real Ranger, but he wrote all these stories about being in Ranger regiment and they were super, <laughs> they were super compelling to us. Man. Well, he That's why I joined the army. Dude, he, he was in Ranger. He was such a good poser that he was in Ranger regiment association. Like they Shit, thought yeah. he was legit. <laughs> um, however, what he did was he gleaned a bunch of stories that were legit because to him, he was a, he was a poser. He was a civilian, or he'd been like a, a, a drummer in the army band. Like no he shit. Was, he was a he was a flautist. I'm not kidding. Not a skin flautist. Um, but he <laughs> he heard these stories through the lens of someone that's like that's amazing, right? So he's like, 
hearing these Ranger stories from Rangers who are like, oh, yeah, this is just a Thursday. He heard them, took them, assimilated them, wrote them down, and they were freaking amazing, you know? And, <laughs> and because, but, but it was because he was able to write them from, at the time, I didn't realize, but like he was able to write them from the perspective of, an outsider, yeah. but, but yeah. that's, he, that's huge. dude. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. But as an insider, it's ultra hard to find like every single of those little bits and nuggets that yeah. turns it into like a super interesting story to a yeah. civilian. Whereas we tend to concentrate on like tactics and like yeah. the gear, but it was funny and the thing, and you know, we're like, Oh, you know, like that movie, it really brought me out of it because dude, they weren't in the wedge the right way or whatever. Super interesting. If I, when I, I write a screenplay, I'm going to go find a poser Yep, and I'm going to help have him help me write it. <laughs> yeah, dude. That's dude, a fucking you, amazing this idea. This dude told these stories to a bunch of us who weren't in the military in a pri in like a private forum area. And like he went out of his way to make sure there were no other military people there. He had his own little like fiefdom. So when I, when he started to tell things, like he tried to what? get me involved. Can we like back, like what? Yes. What was this? So were you, were you guys on like a curling team? Or we were. <laughs> we were in a. We were in a message board in the dark corners of the internet when there was not Tinder or uh, Facebook. It was pre MySpace. There were message yeah. boards. It was like a V bolt and message yes. board. About like I want to join the army someday. No, it was no. it was actually a writing message board for nerds that like to write things. Yes, and <laughs> this guy happened to stumble in there, and he created this sub forum that you know those of us who were interested got you have invited his contact to. info still. Might have so it's actually him. funny you should say that. Isn't because he in don't prison? worry, he's been roasted fully. No, no, I want to have him help me. Write <laughs> you want to no, help me write your story? I'm looking for a ghostwriter. <laughs> I, I believe he went by many Nom de Guerres, but uh, if Tony Cruzel is listening to this or right Tony now, Cruz. or Tony Cruz, thank you for what you did because you convinced me to join the army. Is he because in now? I don't know. So no, his name's Tiffany Cruz. The story gets more interesting. <laughs> the dude basically, um, Brian and I talked to him a bunch. Like his stories are super compelling. I joined the army in big part because yes. of the shit he told me. And awesome. He convinced me. This guy's my fucking hero. <laughs> he convinced me that I didn't have to join, that I could come and be a contractor with him in Baghdad. Like he would send me messages on like Merc chat that were like, oh man, we're really in the shit right now, you know? <laughs> and like, like, hey, I got to run. It's uh, the elections are happening right now. And like, you're like, oh, I got to log off. We're getting fucking incoming. So my buddy Jared, who was at, who was knew way more about computers than I did at the time, he was like, this is bullshit. You can't go do those things without having been in the military. And I'm like, shut up, Jared. You don't know what you're talking about. And Jared pings <laughs> he's his, a ranger. He's yeah, a real deal. Jared pings his IP address, and he's like, uh, well, unless unless he's mirroring his IP, it sure looks like he's in St. Clair Shores, Michigan, to me. And I'm like, <laughs> no, that's where he's from. <laughs> it's not there. He's in Iraq. And uh, Jared's like, whatever. He's a liar. And I'm like, all right. Well, you know what? Only one way to do this, we'll go to the source and find out. So I went to Socknet and asked about him, like in public, like, hey, does anybody know this guy? And like, I just got shit on by like 20 fucking Rangers. They were like, fuck you, take his name out of your mouth. You don't know him. Like, and I'm like, all I asked was if, if anybody knew him, like, who are you to think you can out somebody? I'm like, look, dude, first of all, like, the, all of a sudden it's like, you know, all these people in my private messages, you know, like, fuck you, fuck you, fuck you. I'm like, hey, whatever. Look, man, how about this? How about I just give you my username and my login to this other website? You can go in there and tell me if what you're reading is legit or not. And like, they were like, uh, okay. And then like, what year was this? Oh, 2003? 2003, yeah. Yeah. Fucking cherry bitch. Yeah, I know. And they were like, <laughs> they were like, 
uh, like literally guys would come back. Hey, uh, what else, what else do I need to know about this whole situation? I'm like, well, what did you not glean from going and reading all this stuff? And yeah. so like fast forward, what, four years to when I finally became soft and like I was allowed into the private room over on Socknet where they've talked about this and I'm looking at it and I'm laughing my ass off because all these guys are saying the same things that we're saying. They're like, man, you wouldn't believe it. This guy's telling that story that so-and-so <laughs> told and he's acting like it's him. And like, they're it's like, rad. what a douche. <laughs> yeah. He was going on. So he had been vetted because it was one of those, he said, she said vettings. Like yeah. one dude, his there name, was somebody who was went to Ranger school that had a name very close to his in the same time frame he was claiming. And so like no one actually had served with him, but they are all like, well, I know Tom, he served with them because they'd like call their ranger buddy, be like, hey, did you know Tony Cruz? They're like, hell yeah, I was in weapons platoon with him. And they're like, all right, well, is he about like yay tall, looks like this? Yeah, man, that's him. It's like, cool. <laughs> so like it was like six yeah. degrees to Kevin Bacon vetting. Yeah. He was in the Ranger Association. I'm not kidding. That's awesome. But dude, and it's best because when they finally did a Freedom of Information Act request on him, right, He's a, he'd been a flutist in the Michigan National Guard for like um, – no time. He'd been chaptered. There's anything wrong with that. <laughs> He'd been chaptered out. And he was telling people though, like it was his network was amazing because he, he had prescription drug problems and he was getting dudes that had black market connects to send him drugs in Iraq via his wife at his house in Michigan. So like people were mailing care packages then, but he, they couldn't mail them to him. Only his wife could because his, his location was secret. So they were <laughs> mailing them to him in, a, in Michigan where he's just like crunching, you know, all the pills and just, you know. Oh, and they raised all this money yeah. for him. We should and make a movie about this guy. They had Man, a go, they had it a, would be a great movie. Dude, they had a going <laughs> way party for him. You want to talk about like things that make me upset? Like I had a lot of crushes on a lot of girls that were in that group at the time. And I didn't realize that hero, being a hero had so much power as far as getting pussy. But that dude had like threesomes and foursomes with chicks from that group that I had mad crushes on huh. as going away presents to him before he left for yeah, Iraq. Except he was just going to his basement in <laughs> Michigan. That's the thing I always wonder about with these dudes that are like posers. I'm like, what? How do I get all the cool shit that they think they're gonna get from yeah. saying they're whatever? But they get it. Like Tony get got it, yeah, it man. bro. He parlayed it, it. It blew my mind. I he, was like, "How does this happen?" <laughs> I slept with this girl in Chicago that he had dated or was dating or something like that. Like he said, "No, oh, we're broken up," and I slept with her. And he called me like a week later. He found out about it, like threatening to kill me. Dude, and, <laughs> this story and I, is awesome, dude. I've <laughs> never heard this before. <laughs> well, no. So he threatens to kill me, and it turns out, like years later, like. The whole time he was like living with his wife and two children. Like he's I'm not just gonna kill you, I'm gonna ranger. Oh god. <laughs> I wish I could find those stories. They're probably floating around the internet somewhere. But yeah, they're all awesome. awesome as all like training down in Panama or like whatever, yeah. like basic ranger shit. That's cool. But it was cool and they were all compelling and they may have been part of the reason I joined the army. So That's, I joined the army because of a poser. That's I had, right. I had to do a lot of soul searching that after we a, found out he was fake. I was like, if I really wanted to do this that badly, I should nudes? join. Did you ever send him nudes? It was, uh, no, uh, I didn't. It is. That is a very interesting, like take on it though, that you have to, yeah, that's why none of these guys that write books, write their own book. You have to have, well, that ghostwriter. They're not, I mean, uh, I mean, yeah, it's not to say that they're not capable of writing a book, but we both know that if, like, if 
interesting things that happened to us and we were told to sit down and write a compelling dialogue about it, it wouldn't be interesting to an outside. Yeah, well, I remember when, yeah, that's when, exactly I was in, when I was in basic training, I wrote a story about the gas chamber, you know, the CS gas chamber. And it was, I thought it was great. And other people thought it was really good. I went back and read it, you know, a year ago or so. And I just thought like, what fucking douchebag wrote this story like <laughs> it, was it was me a, yeah. well it was a it was the gas chamber right like at the time it was like one of the craziest yeah. things you'd ever done and yeah. then after a while you're like yeah like you said it was a tuesday like who gives a shit right it's a gas chamber but to a civilian or someone that's not in that world it's still like and then what happened yeah man like the you know on this on this movie and i'm just having to like explain things to the directors are like talking through a scene. I'm like, yeah, dude, come over here. And he's like, and just shoot this dude. And he like, his jaw would be on the floor. He'd be like, you did that. I'm like, yeah, yeah. Like, anyway, let's get back to the blah, blah, blah. And never like, shot a human. I've he's only like, shot he's communists. Like, Wait, so you, so you, yeah. I'm like, yeah, man, it's not a big deal. Like, so yeah, if You're I, had, if I had to write a little like blurb about a particular engagement, it would be like a three sentences long. You know, that somebody else would be like, yeah. holy fuck, that would have been the craziest thing that ever happened to me in my entire life. I'm like, yeah. When I made entry, there was a Dishka sandbagged. <laughs> Luckily, he missed. Well, that's why. Well, that's why some of the best military stories are about non-combat things, right? Like, because it's guys, it's novel even to the dudes that are doing it, no matter what situation where it's like, no shit, there I was. We were doing this crazy thing in Dubai or this crazy thing, you yeah. know, like recreationally. Yeah. And... Because it's novel to them, so they tell it the way yeah. you would tell a regular story as yeah. opposed to like the way a military guy tells a story about a mission, which is everything's omitted because you, the listener, are another military guy and know everything about what I'm talking about. Yeah, and you, you yeah, I, I could see that too. It was a, one of the guys that, that came that was a veteran of this, of this battle in the outpost, um, a guy named Danny Rodriguez. I told you guys about him a little bit. Guy was a, a mortarman, the outpost, you know, he's did some pretty heroic shit on that day. And then, uh, he got out, went to, uh, Clemson. I said Auburn earlier, but I get the two orange and blue. It's basically tiger football teams mixed up. (laughs) Um, he went to Clemson and then he played in the NFL and like just talking to him about, cause he was a, uh, a kickoff return dude. Like the dude that would catch that. I'm like, Bro, special teams. I'm like, bro, how fucking scary is that? Like, that would scare the shit out of me. All these big dudes coming to beat the shit out of you? Yeah, just like with pads on. 12 (laughs) dudes like running as fat, 12, 300 pound motherfuckers run as fast as they can to crush me. Bill's favorite line. They're about to run through a motherfucker's face. (laughs) (laughs) You know, and and it's, it's funny. It it was funny to the people around us as I'm like saying this to them. They're like, with all the stuff you guys did, that scares you? Like, yeah, because it's like. It's outside of my it's novel. It's yeah, it's novel exactly like you said. Like so, yeah. If I were to write a story about going snowboarding, I'd be like, oh, dude, and then this happened, this happened. And, like it's really a big deal to me because it's like something new, and I'm not trained. And and a pro scary. snowboarder would be like, uh, yeah, yeah, like oh, that was lame as fuck. Yeah. I was drunk. Yeah, yeah. So do you know if you were able to turn a story into a movie, what would it be? Uh, I have a few, but I'm not yeah. going to tell them. Right. right now, because people in Hollywood steal that shit. Every idea gotcha. is worth money, Aaron. Why would you no, try dude, to put him next, in a place like that? Next year, the Poser movie is going to come out. <laughs> yeah. right? The Poser movie. Uh, yeah, so... Name um, of the movie should be Reaper 375. <laughs> we should call it American <laughs> Sniper 2. I'm sure that's in the pipe. But uh, yeah, just to... Um, so what I do kind of... You know, me and Ray and our company, Warhoffs, we do... You know, tech advising is our... It, what's 
what keeps the lights on. It's how I make money. But we're also, you know, trying to produce our own content. And we have, you know, a few projects that we're pushing down the field. So there are some. Um, some of them are anything much, that you that you can talk about right now or uh, so we still? have one that yeah i can absolutely talk about uh we have it's called former action guys um it's, really yeah awesome <laughs> <laughs> yeah um so we have a script and all that and we're just you know trying to it's all around and get made but um you're really making a movie called fags <laughs> yeah that's amazing yeah <laughs> hey, that's that's the working title. Like they may make us, <laughs> they may make us change it. I, I feel like. Can you the, tell us a little bit about the story? Yeah. So the story is basically uh, my partner Ray. Um, it's his. It's an adaptation of his life. So Ray is a you know a tech advisor, but he's a producer as well. He produced uh, the Warfighters. Mm-hmm. If you guys watch that on History Channel. And the basically the story of former action guys is how he came to make the warfighters, right? So Ray has a buddy that he was Ray was a the movie a, behind the movie. Yeah. So Ray was a, a SEAL, Team Five. Uh one of his good buddies uh got blown up really severe, severe TBI. Um and this this buddy would constantly ask all his other buddies, hey, what happened to me? You know, like he would ask you. And then like 10 minutes later, he forgot he asked you and he'd ask you again. So Ray was like, we should make a fucking reenactment. We should make a little like movie that he can watch that shows what happened to him. So that kind of, uh, that idea brought forth this idea of the Warfighters, which is the series he made for the History Channel, which is all um, interviews and dramatic recreations <clears throat> of different battles and engagements in the GWAT. All, I think, yeah, they're all pretty, they're all soft stories pretty much. Um, some SF Ranger and SEAL stories. I think there's one Marsock episode as well. Anyway, former Action Guys is kind of a fictional uh, take on Ray and his buddy and a couple of other guys kind of driving around the country, talking to guys who were at this event and getting everybody's story. Um, and there are recreations of this event based on every different guy's memory of it. If that cool. makes sense. Yeah. Um, and done in all different styles and stuff. It's, it's really, we're getting good feedback and hopefully that one gets made. Cool. Ever. Well, and now you're back, are you going to be taking a little bit of a break or is it rushing to the next project? Uh, yeah, no, I'm, I'm, uh, hoping to get a little bit of a break, but you know, never say no to a job. So, I, think, I assume you're going to take most of your downtime to work with uh, Freedom Festival now, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, you're going. Sorry. Um, <laughs> yeah. Man, what turned into an artful segue was totally ruined by stammering. Not used to this. <laughs> um, yeah, so I am involved with a company called Freedom. Um, spelled Freedom, but the last, the O and the M are OM, like for yoga. Um Basically, Freedom is a, a platform for preventive holistic healing for active duty and veterans and uh, first responders. So kind of like what Softleet does in keeping people's bodies healthy through nutrition and exercise, this is to try and help their body stay healthy by giving them a healthy mind um, uh, that through, through holistic healing, you know, through uh, meditation, yoga, nutrition, um, naturopathic, 
uh, supplementation rather than prescription meds. Um, and <clears throat> the big thing that we want to push is the preventive maintenance, not or the proactive approach, not the reactive approach. Um, so what we really want to do or we really want to get in are the, you know, the E5 and E6 audience in the military rather than the already fucked up veteran E8, um, who is probably more prone to listen, but it's because he's fucked up and he's like, oh, I need to change some shit, you know? So trying to get, like, I look back and I wish that someone had approached me that I respected, um, when I was an E5, E6 and said, Hey, if you stretch and you spend 12 minutes a day meditating, you will be this much more effective in your job. And when you retire, you'll be able to walk, you know, right when you get out of bed, instead of it taking 15 minutes for you to be able to stand up straight. Um, so rather than the never ending lazy Susan of bar chattel that circulates through your barracks room, maybe you'll have meaningful relationships with yeah several important people. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All those, those types of things, you know, like getting, getting the, the hippy dippy shit into the active duty, which I think a lot of, um, so especially soft veterans are starting to embrace yoga and embrace, uh, you know, mindfulness and presence and, and all these things trying to like give that to the youngsters and, you know, through Alex Horton, um, she's the, the CEO of, of freedom. She was a CST for fuck, many years. She's like the CST God, the cultural support team. Goddess. Goddess. God, no, no. God doesn't God. have a gender, Brian. There's no gender. Shim? Stop, stop with your gender normative language. Them or they? <laughs> Thanks. Uh, but yeah, that, that's, uh, that's, that's kind of my pet project aside from the, the filmmaking stuff. Um, Do you guys have a plan? So I, I know that when Alex was living in Southern Pines, like you guys were doing one event a year. Um, and I know that she's been trying to expand kind of the charter of what you guys are doing there. Right. But I mean, what are you guys doing right now? So kind of the, well, we still have, so Alex has moved to the West coast. She left uh JSOC Maine and she is now, um, teaching ROTC is kind of her, it's called twilight tour. She's yeah. getting out. Same as you did. Right. Which, yeah. It's a good way to work on stuff for yourself and like really like stay plugged yeah. in, but also go through your just like. My mind is a fucking hot mess. Yeah. I'm having a really hard time transitioning, but I'm still getting paid. Yep, yep. Yeah, exactly. <clears throat> so moved to the West Coast. So she, like you said, she's for the last three years, she, she did a couple in uh, Southern Pines, moved to DC and did one a little bit bigger. Um, now we're moving to the West Coast in hopes. Uh, the West Coast, especially LA, San Diego, they're, very, they're a lot more into their body and, and stuff like that. Than, well, they wear less clothes. The weather's better. Yeah, people people are more vain. There's more vanity. People are a lot more hippy dippy and shit. So, we are gonna do um, in October of of next year. We're gonna do another festival. Um, you know, and in the meantime, putting out content on online and and doing stuff like that. But what we really want to do is is bring put asses in the seats doing these festivals. And you know, the long game is that we are starting to build advocates. You know, we're starting to make the cool guys do it so that the other guys will, will follow suit. Um, and as we raise money, we can send, you know, we can send guys from units to yoga teacher training. We can send guys to these mindfulness retreats. We can send guys to all these things, not for that guy or that girl. For their unit. But for their unit. Yeah. Right. So is this um, a nonprofit? No, 
It's a, right. it's an LLC. It's not a for, we, we didn't want to do a nonprofit. Um, we like and maybe profit. that's, maybe that's a mistake and we're not trying to make money. We just have a really bad taste in our mouth about nonprofits when it comes to the vet world. Um, Understandable. So, and I mean, what you're doing is you're providing a legitimate service. I guess the real question is monetizing it because you're going to have a hard time getting guys to pay for it themselves, but getting right. their units to pay for it would be awesome. That's, that's, yeah. that's the in-state goal is, you know, there's the, you know, the Thor or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. So out of the loop, I don't know what's called. You know, there's, there's, you know, when I was, when I was a, a corporal, I went and learned how to shoot from Jerry Barnhart. Yep. You know? Um, so I don't think there's, it, it, as long as, you know, the challenge in, in what you're saying and it's, and it's true and it's something we, we continuously think about is, is monetizing this. Right. And, and we can say all day long, we don't care about money, but I have no, to pay man. rent. Everybody um, cares about money. But I think the way that we, we get there eventually is being those SMEs that have been able to through going at that E5, E6 audience now, um, in, in five years, those are, you know, platoon sergeants, company level officer leadership. These are people who can make changes in the culture of organizations and they can say, yeah, instead of having, I mean, and you can also shit. If I, if when I was a ranger first learn, if I had been able to make my company meditate and realize that like, Hey, you're going to feel better and be better at your job. If you, if you do these things for presence rather than just getting hammered every night, Mm -hmm. I would have been fucking all over it, you know? And if you can make, 40 or 50% of a, of a formation believe in this stuff. How many then, privates you got to deal with who like have a relationship crater and then let's try to wear all their kit and like run out with an M4 and like do something to get themselves in real trouble. You know, and you're like, Hey man, it's just a chick. If you would just take a minute and breathe. Yeah. yeah. All of this is going to like go away. Right. Um, yeah. And it's, 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 it's a huge cultural shift. And I get that because, you know, people right now, you know, if I'm like, if I'm sitting in, in the, in the S4 seat in a battalion, they're like, Hey, we have X number of dollars for, you know, civilian con skills for, for people to come in and do these things. We've got this, like, you know, we got this driving guy and we got this shooting guy and we got this girl that's going to come in and teach guys how to meditate. Like, how do you think that's going to go right now? Probably not well, but if in five years, 10 years, you know, we have gotten to a point where we understand that the brain is a muscle in the body, like a very important one mm-hmm. and we can start making guys take care of it. Like that's really what we want to get to. What brought so that, yoga and meditation into your life? Uh, so for me it was, uh, yoga pants really. Um, <laughs> just seeing chicks in yoga pants and <laughs> following them. Um, Tell as old as time. <laughs> you know, I followed them into these places. They kicked me out and then I realized they actually did stuff where they were going. And I am Jericho. I'm super woke. Also, let me dust this conversation with misogyny. <laughs> They're not actually doing anything. It's called active casual for a reason. <laughs> and, and I mean, I can't, I'm not really misogynistic because I also follow dudes in yoga pants. So that's also now cool. that's like, just ranger now, bat stuff. I like the bulge. <laughs> now our friendship it makes so much more sense. <laughs> yeah. But to seriously answer your question. So I had, um, I had some pretty legit TBIs in my career. Um, I went to the NICO. Uh, I don't know. After I worked at ROTC, NICO is the, basically the mother of all TBI treatments in the military. You go to Walter Reed for like five weeks inpatient and do all these things. And it's basically, you know, like I was saying, they teach you how to 
take your brain back from the effects of TBI and also from PTSD and PTSD uh, manifesting itself as hypervigilance, right? So you take, you know, how much dumber a TBI makes you, you add on uh, hypervigilance from PTSD, you add on physical pain and all these things, you know, slowly but surely they take up all the bandwidth of your brain and they, once the bandwidth in your brain is, is lowered, you start to get frustrated with yourself and you're not as high a performer anymore. That leads to depression and that leads to all these, you know, um, ill effects that we see in the vet community with guys being depressed and wanting to kill themselves and, and all this stuff. And I think it all kind of goes back to physiological things, right? But physiological in the brain. So you're not depressed from PTSD because you're sad about what happened to you. Your fucking brain is tired because it's working so much harder. Um, so when I, I learned that I went through there, I went through the NICO program and they're very, 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 um, concentrated on giving you tangible ways of bringing that bandwidth back. And a lot of it is through, you know, uh, yoga and meditation, um, yoga, just getting the body to get, so yoga is, is a two pronged attack at these issues. It's, um, a, it's making your body get into positions that it hasn't been able to get into in a while just through stretching so that it alleviates a lot of physical pain, right? Because physical pain takes up a lot of that mental bandwidth, you know? Um, and then <clears throat> the other is just presence, you know, trying to get in your Zen in those, in those, those sessions. Um, for me, uh, the yoga piece is more physical and less mental. I have, I have to do more, uh, meditation and stuff like that for the kind of the presence thing. And even that to this day for me, and that's why I try and push guys at it a lot. It's because even now I try and do it every day. It's, it's hard for me. Um, my mind, like they had that saying, the mind is a drunken monkey. It does what it wants. I have a, I have a hard time with that. You know, I grew up, my entire adult life was in the Ranger regiment and it's called a regiment for a reason. So I don't like to be kind of out of control of things. And um, so actually it's, it's a lot of the stuff that George has been pushing on softly that's helped my meditation game a little more and just doing like box breathing and shit like that. Cause I don't have to think about not thinking I can count and concentrate on whatever. My big thing now is I do my box breathing in a cold shower. So I'm like, holy fuck, yeah, this water really, is cold. That really does it. You can't think about shit. If you're in like oh God, super oh cold God, water oh God, oh and God. you're just breathing, like yeah. all you think about is getting out of that fucking water. So it, you know, in doing that, it like for, so to kind of break it down in a layman's term and, and how I understand it, cause I am by no means a scientist. I shocking. I, uh, <laughs> I'm able to let my mind relax for a minute. Mm -hmm. Um, it's basically recovery for your brain. Yeah. Um, and it helps a lot. I mean, it, it makes me more sharp. It improves my sleep, um, which improves sleep also frees up a lot of that mental bandwidth. Um, that mental bandwidth thing is legitimately the best. That is the best description I've heard of it where like the difference between a high grade, like a high performing operator, like in a DA realm specifically, like a direct action realm, like you make, you make entry, come through the door and you have a series of like choreographed things that you're doing that you know what you're doing and number two man knows what's going on but now you're looking for threats right and 
your mental bandwidth is very occupied with those things. And I think that like, as you become better at those tasks, they have done a lot of like eye movement studies on like what's happening. And when you are good at it, you are using much less mental, mental bandwidth on things that don't matter. Like you're not yeah. thinking about, Hey man, am I going left or right? Hey man, like there's our couch here. Hey, what yeah. does dead space look like? You just know what those things mean to you and you're looking for a threat and then you're moving to it. Right. Right. And like everybody knows what's going on. And I think that in our regular day-to-day lives, we have a ton of extra static going on. Like yeah. we're, our thought process is consumed with yeah. stuff that doesn't matter. Yeah. So being able to sit down and clear that stuff that doesn't matter out of our heads and yeah. focus on what does matter makes a big difference in our stress levels. Yeah. And there's, there's another, there's to what you said, I'm glad you said that. The other thing is, and this is not me being like, I'm a veteran. I got to sit with my back to the, to the wall so I can see the door type thing that because we have, you know, if you've deployed for years and you've been doing direct action raids for years and you're constantly doing that, your mind learns to do it without knowing it's doing it. And it's a background application that you're constantly running until you make a decision to like get present and turn that off. Like, does, that, does that mean that like all I think about is eating foot bread and drinking <laughs> tea with a bunch of stinky locals? Yeah, you're, you're constantly like you took a drink of your kombucha and you're like, is this poisoned? But you didn't actually think it. My background, background app is way less cool than yours. Mine's a, a weird Afghan version of the Oregon Trail. <laughs> Doug broke his leg and got bit by a rattlesnake. Uh, have you done any, uh, have you ever been in a float tank? I haven't, but I, I really want to do one. Aaron got me a gift certificate nice. to go float in a tank. Me too. I'm so excited. I have, I have one booked on Wednesday, actually. Is, um, is there, is there sec- only one float tank there? I think so. So I can't book at the same time as you so we can hang out we in could ropes. Fit. We could <laughs> <laughs> If we float sideways. After you guys do um, that, we should all go do ayahuasca together. <laughs> Why sure. does this come up in every every conversation because it's we have? supposed to be magical. <laughs> well, As we all throw up on each other. I'm interested because a lot of people that had done float tanks um, that I'd either talked to or like read about, you know, were saying once you get in there, like it's over, you know, 90 minutes is like all of a sudden, you know, you're like, all right, I'm, I'm just getting into this. And then, Hey, time's up. And when I got in it, I was like, man, you know, like I'm, I'm really having trouble kind of like shutting my brain off. Um, I don't feel disassociated at all, like, Mm -hmm. you know, mentally or physically. And, uh, I, you know, I, I wasn't, I, I didn't have any issues with like the dark or claustrophobia or anything like that. Um, but I thought, man, I'm going to, I'm going to sit here and think for 90 minutes. And like, as I was having that thought, it was like, you know, the lights were coming back on. I was like, man, how the uh, fuck did 90 minutes just go by? Yeah. So it didn't. They Totally. You need to but, leave your watch and your uh, iPhone out here. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so I was just kind of curious um, along those lines. I'm I'm definitely interested to try it at least a few more times to kind of see where it goes. But I did feel afterwards that it was uh, I don't know, not like not, a, a hard mental reset. But, but you like don't do a, TM at all, like for day to day at all, do you? Not day to day, but I do. I do try to do it more frequently than than I currently do, which is 
It's good, least, man. At least sometimes. Yeah, yeah. So. What's the T stand for? Transcendental. Transcendental. Yeah. Yeah. I just wanted to make sure. Um, and I was trying to, you know, throw a bone to the audience that didn't know what you meant. Sorry. Oh, Appreciate good. that. Thanks for playing the straight man there. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I just read uh, Michael Pond's book, How to Change Your Mind. I haven't heard of it. And, you know, are you familiar with Changing him? Your Mind is for idiots and right. suckers. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm the guy who's, I'm Steven Crowder. Michael Pond's the uh, uh, shit. He's written a bunch of like food books, you know, like food. Oh, okay. uh, that Food Inc. movie was kind of yeah, based Oh, not on, the guy from Monty Python? Right. Different guy? Okay. Different guy. Uh, and the most recent book that he wrote was basically all about hallucinogens. Oh, um, shit. Was you know, he on Joe of, Rogan? Yes. Yeah, I listened yeah. to that. Yeah, so, he was but, the one that turned me on to like wanting to try uh, ayahuasca. Yeah. He, sort of. uh, yeah, it's traditionally good. he's been more of like a, a local agriculture kind of guy. Yeah. But, uh, anyway, I thought the book was interesting. So you probably just listen to the Joe Rogan podcast and get 90% of the book. Yeah. But, yeah, I did. And it, it was super interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So we'll see. We, uh, yeah. Yeah. We may or may not go, but yeah, go in that direction. The softly spirit journey. Right. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, October of, uh, of next year in Los Angeles, um, venue to venue TBD. We have uh, like four different venues I have to go look at when I get back to LA. Cool. And uh, we'll decide on one and the ball will get rolling from there. So yeah, like I said, to kind of answer the question of like a Doug's question of like, what is it is, you know, we're, we're starting with these festivals to bring, to shed some light, you know, talking guys like you and, and getting the word out there to try and shift the culture in the military. And I think it needs to start, you know, guys like me and, and Doug and then Doug pushing it down to the, the younger, uh, SF guys. And my, I'm in the, the regimental world and, and getting guys to do these things and, and change that. Not the attitude now, but you know, maybe if two out of three first aren't in a battalion 10 years from now are super into being present and mind, mindful and meditating and, and stretching and taking care of themselves, their mind, then this stuff will start to take over. Sure. Know? Sounds like you're trying to reduce the effect of the United States military right from the inside, hippie. Yeah. It all started when they got rid of the old PT test <laughs> and then it just went downhill from there. Where where can people follow you guys on social media or what website can you give us? Yeah, it's uh, freedomholistic.org um, is the website and then just freedomholistic on, uh, let me make sure that's right, on Instagram. Um, cool. And what about Warfighter, or uh, sorry, War Office, rather? The war Office, yeah, it's uh, WarOfficeProductions.com and War Office Productions on Instagram. Um, yeah, and, and for the War Office, if people just want to see, you know, they want to follow us, see some of the stuff we're working on, we post on there um, from time to time. Uh, but, yeah, it's just a cool thing. It's not like they can buy anything from us or anything. We just want to make movies someday. So unless unless you're a... Uh, a studio head or a producer and you're listening to this and you want to make a movie with us, give me a call. Cool. Thanks for coming to join us today, man. Really appreciate it. Yeah, always, always good, good to catch up. Yeah. And uh, I'm still hoping that we'll be able to convince you to go back to Eastern Europe next year to join us for the mini bike <laughs> rally. Yeah. I got to, uh, I got to expel some of this boiled meat and cucumbers <laughs> out of my system before I can go back to Eastern Europe. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> Well, coming at you live from Softly to HQ, thanks for joining us. We'll talk to you next week.